Welcome to Beat Blossom, the Good Enough Podcast. This show encourages entrepreneurs to embrace their flaws and be awesome, promote their business without shame on social media, and grow it to support the life they truly desire to live. I'm your host, Anita Kirkbride, social media trainer and brainstormer extraordinaire, founder of the Flossom League Social Media Academy for Business and Twerp Communications, Inc. Today, I'm talking to Penny McCauley, owner of Penelope's Boutique in Halifax, Canada, a vintage boutique featuring all kinds of beautiful clothing from past years about what it was like to do things perfectly based on advice that she received from some coaches and mentors and how she went back to being Flossom and doing things herself and how that's worked out for her. Welcome, Penny. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Anita. And I don't know if you want me to tell you how far back we go. (laughs) We go back a little ways. I'm celebrating my 10th year in business this year, which is part of the reason I'm starting a new podcast. And you were in that class that I went to when I started my business. So it goes back at least 10 years. Penny is actually one of the people that I tell stories about when I am teaching about being Flossom. And so I'm delighted to have her here today to tell us the stories in her own words so that you guys know that I'm actually talking about a real person. So Penny, why don't you start by telling us what your business is and how it's changed in the last year or so? Oh my, in the last year. Well, my business is vintage clothing. So for almost 10 years, I had a bricks and mortar shop in the north end of Halifax carrying vintage clothing and some modern as well. And it was pretty much, I would say, 80% consignment. And then 20% of the vintage, I probably went to Montreal and Toronto twice a year to source. So that's the first thing that makes me think, you know, it was so much fun to go to Montreal to my favorite little spots that I wouldn't tell anybody else about. And I would find all this great stuff. And I would usually go early May and early September. So, you know, the two seasonal changes. And of course, starting in March of last year, the last place in Canada you probably don't want to visit is Montreal because of COVID. So that has been my source of vintage has really dried up. Now, I did decide that I had to close my bricks and mortar in October of last year, mostly because the kind of business that I was running was you really needed to see the item. You really needed to feel the item. And most importantly, you really needed to try it on to know if it was going to work for you. So now I'm online exclusively and I take a million pictures of the clothing. I do have a series of Penelope's models that come and I shoot videos with them. And I will give you measurements up the yin yang about whether you think it will fit you or not. But you know what? All that might work. And then I know for myself, you put it on and you think, gee, doesn't really work for me as much as I thought it might. So ergo, the difficulty of selling my business online. Mm. I try, I make some sales, but it is a real challenge. 
But I'm still here. I'm still in business. What I am now looking forward to is perhaps later in 2021, we'll be at the point where I can I have some pop-up shops and uh, people will be able to come and browse as they usually did. In fact, not that long ago, somebody contacted me on my website and said, I'd love to come and browse. Well, I'm in my home with a narrow part of it, God love my husband, that has been overtaken by what I brought home from the shop. So unfortunately, browse is not part of my ability other than online. You can mm-hmm. browse to your heart's content, but it's not the same. So who buys vintage? Like who is your client that's out there saying, I really want vintage pieces? Are they doing it for the look of things or are they doing it because things just aren't made the same now? Or is it a combination of that? It's definitely a combination. I think over the 10 years that I was at the store, the majority of my clientele moved from 55 year old women that wanted to get rid of their suits, their 80s power suits that they used in the 80s to um, anywhere from a 25 year old to I'd say a 45 year old who love the look and appreciate the quality and the workmanship. And they don't have to pay a fortune for it. I mean, my God, I suppose the malls still are doing something. But you go into Aritzia or Club Monaco when you buy a nice suit, it's going to cost you $500. You can get a fabulous suit, vintage suit that would look like a Jackie Kennedy or, you know, whatever era you're thinking of um, for under $200. Mm-hmm. And it also has that uniqueness. And I find that a lot of my clientele, they want to know if there is a story connected with the piece. And often there is. Can you share with us one of your more interesting stories? Oh, there are a lot. Let me think. Well, I just acquired, uh, it was one of the few things that I agreed to take on in a consignment term, um, a, a beautiful pink spring pink wool boucle suit from the early 80s and it's called a castleberry which didn't really mean anything to me but I kind of googled it and everything and apparently castleberry suits were Nancy Regan the first lady of Ronald Regan that those were her favorite suits so in the 80s they were very popular and They weren't the big Dallas over the size shoulder pad kind of look. They were this particular suit. I swear to God, if you didn't know, you'd think it might be a Chanel. So it's that very classic collarless, simple box um, jacket with a with a, a skirt. Anyway, this man just lost his wife in the past two or three months. And she had purchased this Castleberry suit in Bermuda at an English woolen shop in 1981 for their wedding. So it held great sentimental value to him. And I had one of my models wear it and post it on my Instagram. And it is a gorgeous looking piece, I must say. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really interesting to hear that some of these pieces come with such stories because when I look at my closet, I think 
there's really not a lot there. My wedding dress, maybe. But other than that, there's not a lot there that holds a lot of sentimental values. Oh, a lot of my clothing. I mean, I have a dress that is from made in Switzerland, which you wouldn't think was that big uh, country for fashion. But I just realized after I had it for a while that it's very much in the style of Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music when she was like, coming out of the nunnery. It's very much in that style and beautifully made. I acquired a lot of beautiful clothing from a woman that her family tells me she was always an extreme fashionista. She passed away last year at the age of 93, but I'm still posting some of her clothes and not Three weeks ago, I posted a beautiful green one with Megan, one of my models who can't be any more than 30. And the daughter of this lady who lives in Texas emailed me and said, mom always wore that on St. Patrick's Day. So there are a lot of wonderful associations. And obviously, these people took such good care of their clothes. And they were well worth taking care of because they were so beautifully made. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about social media. How do you use social media to promote the love of vintage and to sell these products? What are you doing now? Well, I'll tell you one thing that I just started about three weeks ago, and I think it will help. At first, I thought it was the blockbuster way to make your business escalate, but it hasn't quite done that. But I will tell you (laughs) that the videos that I'm shooting... I'm posting on Etsy and Etsy had said videos work. So I started posting these 13, 14 second videos of my models wearing these clothes. And one of them was to my mind, a very nice dress from the eighties, beautifully made silk, but there was a video of it and it sold within two days. And my take, Anita, is that when you saw that dress in the person coming towards you and the light shining on the silk and the way it swirled around her body, you actually saw how the dress would work. So when that woman said, okay, I think the measurements would fit my body, she bought it. So I am now trying to post videos for almost everything that I post on Etsy. Well, looking at clothing, even on another person is totally different experience than looking at a picture of a shirt or a dress laying on a bed or on a mannequin. Absolutely. And, you know, I've always said that when I had the store, I would have this this item and nobody had tried it on and somebody would come in and try it on and say, oh, that's the way that looks or that's the way that works or oh, I see now why they made the drop waist or something because it fits on your hips so nicely. And then in the couture days, if you were a very wealthy person, you just went to the couture house and all the models pranced around and while you drank champagne and you saw what the clothes looked like on usually a very skinny model. But nonetheless, you would definitely get the sense of how it moved. That's how I shop. Isn't that how you shop, Penny? Don't you go into a store and wait for them to show you your clothes on models? I shop that way all the time. Oh, my God. I guess that's why I'm flossing. I don't (laughs) expect that anymore. So you're using Etsy. 
yes. and you're finding that video is helping. I think it is. What other uh, social media do you use? Well, I post on Instagram and Facebook. I was doing it maybe two or three times a week when I had the shop. But of course, I had so much just running the day-to-day shop. So now I try almost every day to post on Instagram, which automatically, the way I've set it up, goes to Facebook as well. I get lots of likes. I get good comments. That's usually about it. There's been a couple of times when somebody said, oh, I really would like that. And in one instance, it was a great pair of sort of Catherine Hepburn pants, but they were small. And we both agreed that probably it wasn't going to work. She wasn't a big, big girl, but the waist was small. Mm -hmm. So, but I do post and I try to do something different, not every day do the same thing. Although I, I could do better at that. That's where I'm flossing. I think the thing I'm going to post tomorrow is this incredible 1932 wedding dress, which just is exquisite. I can't put it on a mannequin because the lace is fragile. And when I had it at the store, somebody backed me into a corner and made me let them try it on. And they tore the lace. I don't think it's fixable. Mm. and made me now some people are going to say well you that that's not but it was an awkward situation where I sort of didn't know what to do so I let them Mm. try it on and didn't know what they'd done until they left but anyway that's what I'm going to post tomorrow on my dining room table show the beautiful parts of it the smocking and the and all that, but I will show where the lace is so badly torn. And you know what, Anita, maybe somebody will say, well, I can fix that. I'm, I'm a superior lace fixer. <laughs> or maybe they know how to modify it. Yes. Right? There are people out there that buy things like that and then modify them and they come out beautiful. They have way more creativity and patience than I do. Yes. But I've seen some beautiful transformations of vintage things. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm not prepared to fork that out now <laughs> without any knowledge of anybody ever buying it. Oh, you're absolutely right. I have a couple of pieces like that that I might even do like a whole series. Like here are five pieces at Penelope's that I can't fix, but are any of them of interest to you for a minimal amount of money, you can transform them into beautiful pieces. I'm sure there are people out there that will take you up on that kind of offer. So right now you've talked about you're doing video, you're posting, you're taking photos, you're doing all of your social media pretty much yourself. But There was a time shortly after we met way back in 10 years ago in that class that you actually worked with some professionals to do your social media. So tell me about why you decided to hire professionals, who you hired, and and tell me the story of how that worked out for you. Well, I don't feel I know anything about social media, even now. I mean, I suppose I've gleaned a few things, but... I'm really flying by the seat of my pants all the time. So when Instagram, when Facebook seemed to really become the only way of getting your name out there 
Anita, I'd say maybe 2014, 2013. That's how I started hearing that you have to have a presence on social media. And here's what you need to get these likes and you need to do these posts and blah, 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 blah. I just felt overwhelmed. So I was recommended to somebody that could take care of my social media. So I hired this person at a pretty good rate per month to do all that. So I would decide what clothing I wanted presented. And then they kind of took it from there. They got the models, they went out, did the photography and posted it. And there were some nice pictures, but it didn't take me very long before I figured out the person was having a great deal of fun being creative on my buck. And in a lot of instances, you wouldn't even know what the clothing was that was supposed to be presented because a lot of the stuff that this person did was Photoshop, right? So here's a little sweet little jumpsuit from Subtles and Sea Winds, circa 1980. It's gorgeous. It still has the tags on it. And the picture that actually comes out is somebody leaning over the the rail of a boat somewhere in like Key West or something like that. You can't see the jumpsuit. You can't see anything, but it's a very cool picture. And that happened a lot. Really cool pictures. You know, a green polka dot dress. And all of a sudden the girl is in a 1950s kitchen with all green ceramic cupboards or something. Very cool. But how long did it take that guy to do that? You know, and I didn't see the ROI with that amount of techie add-ons. You were hiring a photographer, you were hiring models, and you were paying for professional editing of these photos into really creative combinations. So you were paying a lot out to get these things produced. I was only paying this one person. So I don't think that person paid the models. I think it was, okay. I think it was friends and beautiful young women. And the person did a great job with the models. And the other thing that I didn't like, Anita, is this person insisted that I had to follow everybody, everybody and anybody. And I ended up following like 5,000 people that I had no idea who they were. And really, I didn't feel was doing anything for me. Mm-hmm. And what am I doing with 5,000 followers? You know, I mean, it'd be great if I had 5,000 followers. <laughs> but anyway, so after about two years, I decided, let me try it myself. Let me just start from scratch. I have a good eye. I guess I've had enough photographs taken over the years that I get a sense of what I want and what the model wants to look good too. And of course, I had the beautiful backdrop of the North End with all great doorways and interesting architecture and lots of little shops to stop in. So I took pictures all over the North End and everybody was happy because they got tagged in it too, right? But I just did it myself with my iPhone and I don't think I ever heard anybody say, oh, I wish I saw the old pictures again. (laughs) Probably not, because now you were using people that were well known in the business community. You were using people that local 
businesses, local coffee shops and restaurants that you could tag and you could collaborate with who might be sharing your stuff and people who looked like your customers. Well, this is it. I just had a new addition to Penelope's Models a couple of weeks ago, and it was a customer of mine over the years. And she texted me and said, Penny, do you ever consider taking on more models? So I had her here at my little uh, studio and she's a natural. She's gorgeous. And she's a mother and she has two pretty small children. She said, thank you, Penny. This is something I've always wanted to do. And it just fulfills something to satisfy me, not as a mom, not as a wife, not as a daughter, all those things. But she said, you know, I always dress up because she said, I teach preschoolers and I go to to the class every day, you know, nicely dressed. And she told me one day, not that long ago, she wore an animal print to the preschool. And so they must have asked her and she said, well, this is a leopard print. The next day, three of those four-year-old toddlers came into school with animal print on their clothing. And they (laughs) said, Ms. So-and-so, we have to tell you, that's not leopard print. That's cheetah print. Oh, she was told school. But not only that, not only that, they must have gone home and asked mom or dad, can I wear this or that? And it's leopard. So maybe they looked up in an, a book or something. Oh, that looks like a cheetah print, not a leopard. So there was actually some education involved. <laughs> Who knew fashion could be so educational? Well, there you go. So you're using, I want to put air quotes around this, real models, not professional models. And yes. I only I only make that distinction because professional models have a very specific body type. And the people who come and buy at your shop aren't all that specific body type. No. So does it work better for you now that you're using quote unquote, real models? Oh, I think so. Penelope's models were probably born in about 2017. And I loved the idea of it. And I thought it was a good little marketing handle for my shop that I didn't think anybody else was doing it at the time. So it set me apart a little bit. But absolutely. I would love to have five or six more models. My only challenge with a lot of my clothing is it's not big. It's not large. So it's harder to find clothing that's going to fit a larger body. But I'm always thrilled when I do Mm. because uh, that's what I want, real people. And so do people comment on the fact that they know the models that are in your, your photos? Oh, yes. I'll tell you. I'm trying to get Aaron Casey back. Do you know Aaron? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Everybody knows Aaron. Aaron's modeled for me a couple of times. She has been a, a customer. Every time I get her, I must get 150 or 200 likes because of her wide network of contacts herself. She knows how to pull off the clothes that work for her. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And then uh, some of my other models, the people that follow them, will be right up there saying, oh, uh, Elizabeth looks great in this or Megan looks great in that. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about taking your own photos? Did you go and study photography before you did this? Nope. Nope. Not at all. It's an interesting thought that when I was in television production, 
I told all the other people in the crew how to make the shot look right, you know. But I guess I always had a creative vision of what I thought something should look like. I remember one time we were shooting a video and I wanted the protagonist or the the singer way, way far in the distance. So there was this big overview like landscape and they were just a dot on the landscape and my cameraman was freaking well you can't even see who they are you don't you know that's just not the way it's supposed to be and I said well we'll do another shot and that'll be a tight and you know you're gonna know who it is so I guess when I look in the lens of my little iPhone which is all I ever use I have a good sense of what it is I want to see Now I am learning all the time. For instance, these videos that I'm doing, I'm finding out I have to have a lot more headroom than what I see in my screen. Mm -hmm. Because when it's translated to all the different aspects, like Shopify has one kind of ratio, Instagram has another one, Facebook has another one. So I'm learning those semantics, those kind of details as I go along. Mm-hmm. But it's not stopping you. No. Oh, no. I mean, if the head's cut off, well, we're shooting the clothes anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to cut off the head very often. <laughs> so if you think back to when you made the decision to start doing this yourself to see how it went, how did it make you feel when you started posting your own photos? Were you nervous about whether or not they were good enough? Were you nervous about how they'd be received? Well, Anita, I wasn't because I've been in show business my whole life. There's a picture on my wall of me at about two that they used in the local newspaper for something or other. But I know what you're getting at. So what I'm saying is to anybody else that doesn't have a show business background, you know what you see in the lens. And I guess the thing that you have to practice is what you see in the lens. Is it being translated at the other end? And if it's not, it's very easy to figure out why not. You know, if you shoot into the light, it's not going to work because everything's backlit. But that's easy enough. Just make sure that when you're shooting something, the sun is behind you if you're using natural light. And natural light's the best. So it sounds like you actually learned a lot of lessons just by doing this yourself. Oh, oh my God. (laughs) I'm still learning lessons. Absolutely. Like the ratio, well... Okay, so some of these videos, the shot here, Etsy wouldn't take. I had to read a little bit to go into my settings and change my camera ratios so that it was something that would translate better because I was using too low a ratio. So it just didn't have enough oomph when you translated it to another source, another you know form. And that would probably be the same as YouTube or iMovie or any absolutely. of those. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They all have their different dimensions and yes. different rates and, and everything. So yes. So one of the things I really like about the Etsy videos is they don't have sound because I've had a bit of a problem with doing my what I call my wall walk because I have a long hall in my condo. That's sort of my runway. But it's a wood floor and everybody just, you know, when they walk on the wood floor, it's so loud. So at first I took the room sound off and put on, 
these horrible, dinky little musical things. And I really didn't like it. But I've discovered now that I think it's just best to not have any audio at all because you're seeing the person, you're seeing the clothes. Why do you need extra sound? It's distracting. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me a little bit about your process. Like when you take a photo, because you're not a professional photographer and you're just using your iPhone, which I think is fabulously flossom. And it's something I tell people in classes, you do not need to go buy a brand new $5,000 camera to do this stuff. You just need to learn how to use the one that's in your pocket. Exactly. So tell me about your process. Do you take a hundred photos and then pick three and edit for hours or? No, I don't do any editing. I've even tried to stop doing that. So let's do it in two sections, still photographs, and video. So let's do the still photographs. So it doesn't matter if I have a live model or if I'm using a mannequin. I have my studio. I will digress for one second. I did purchase a lighting kit from Amazon or something like that. I think it cost me a hundred bucks. So I have two light stands that bounce off the back wall so I don't have to deal with shadows. Because the professional said, you don't want your background to be shadowy. You want your background to be clean and crisp. So I have lots of ambient light in here, natural light, but it still was creating shadows. So I did fork out that. Now it's great. I don't have to worry about it. So then, all right, let's say I have a a mannequin or a live model. I know what I need for the formats that I'm presenting to. So... I would maybe take eight or 10 shots. Usually after one or two, I'll just go back and look at them in the camera to see if that was what I wanted. Again, somebody might've had their eyes shut. So you don't want that. Or sometimes it's okay, but sometimes it's not. So I do not edit. I never edit my still photographs. I think it's wasted energy. And if you learn how to do them, so you're happy with them the first time. With my videos, the first couple I I went into iMovie and fade in from black, fade out from black. But you know what, Anita? I look back on my Instagram feed and there's these, like a picture and then there's this, and then there's this block with black in it. At first I thought, why? And then it's because I faded up from black. Don't bother to do that, you know? Just what I do now is if I'm doing some kind of a a sequence, all right, let's talk about somebody that's cutting vegetables for their chow. So all I do is say, okay, I'm going to press record and nod, and then you start to chop your vegetables. And so you might have a one second or a two second up, but you don't need to fade up from black. So I learned that just in the last six weeks. Well, I can help you fix that problem, actually, but we'll talk about that offline. But it's really interesting that, you know, you you're using the bare minimum of equipment. Yeah. And you're doing this yourself, really no professional training. And is this style of photo and this style of managing your social media working better for you than previous ways of doing it? I think that for what I want to present, I know best. I mean, and I think any person that runs their business, yes, you can get advice and yes, you can have people suggest things. But 
in a lot of instances, you know what you want your product to look like. You know what you want your product to look like to the public. Another example of my photography versus someone else's, I had a fashion show in an art gallery last year and somebody had volunteered to take the photographs for me. They were somebody that had always had a passionate interest in photography. And I thought, great, they just wanted to do it. So I didn't have to pay them. So I just went ahead with the fashion show and didn't take any pictures. And it's the regret of my lifetime because the person set it up like a photography studio. So this was a fashion show in an art gallery. People were moving around. People were having a glass of wine, talking to somebody else. Those were the pictures that I would have wanted with the models in their 1930s vintage dresses or whatever, off the cuff, that kind of thing. The real person wearing the real, as opposed to going to the place where this person had set up the studio with the umbrellas and everything. And then it wasn't even just that. The format they took, like you were talking about, Anita, some kind of fancy, big camera with all these light apertures or whatever it is. And I could hardly access any of the photos because, again, the way this person had been taking the photographs was something that was meant to go back to a big studio where you go in the dark room and God knows. No, no, I really wish I had taken the picture. And let's just be clear here. Neither one of us is saying that you shouldn't use professional photographers. There is always a place, right? Professional photographers have a place in our businesses. There's no question. Oh, absolutely. If I wanted a profile shot of me, I'd be hiring somebody because a selfie is not what you want for a professional shot. Usually not. There are sometimes. Sometimes I will use a selfie, but to do your daily photos for vintage clothing, you don't need a studio and professional models. And and you're proving that because your photos, I mean, your photos are beautiful and your photos showcase the models and the clothing and your location and our city. You know, what more could you want in a photo, really? Well, Anita, one favorite shot I took last year down at the ferry terminal and the model was gorgeous and a redhead and she was wearing a very fancy strapless silver sequined dress with a train and everything. And I got her up against the railing that the ferry terminal let me go out right beside where the ferry pulls in. And so we were doing our shots and the Ferry was pulling out, and at the same time, I could see a sailboat coming by in the background. So I did take a couple of extra shots. So there it is, you know, our beautiful city down by the waterfront, the ferry and the sailboat and this gorgeous model. But it was, you know, it was serendipity. So sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. I can't think of any more flossom way to... (laughs) end our conversation. Sometimes you get what you need and sometimes you don't. And we just continue on and and keep trying and keep doing our social media. Yes, because you never know when the next interesting moment will come along. So you just have to keep doing it. Exactly. 
Do you have any advice for small business owners who are out there thinking, no, that's great. She knows what she's doing, but I really need to have that big camera or I really need to have something, somebody else do this for me. Do you have any advice on how to be Flossom? Well, why don't you just try doing it yourself for a week? And for that week, do not say, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. For that week, say, I don't know what I see in the camera is going to come out. Just do it. Try it. Try it some different ways. You know, try it portrait style. Try it landscape style. Just keep pushing that button with what you're trying to convey. And uh, do it for a whole week. Maybe look at some pictures after day two. And then I'm sure after day two, you're going to learn something that you'll think, ah, maybe if I do this, it's going to look better. Or maybe if I don't do this, it will be simpler and still get the idea across. Simplicity always wins in the end. Just don't beat yourself up because you think, I don't know. You'd be surprised We all know way more than we think we do. And we're just so darn hard on ourselves, especially women. Especially women. Absolutely. Penny, tell us how we can find you online. My email address is kind of the basic way where you can find me. That's Penelope's Boutique 2011 at gmail.com. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook almost every day at Penelope's Boutique. And uh, if you want to talk to me, you can always reach me on my cell phone, which is my business phone, 902-497-5918. And if you want me to come and help you shoot for a day, I'd be happy to. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun? Just hang around and maybe make a suggestion. And God knows I might make a terrible suggestion. (laughs) But it would be a flossom one. It would be. All right. Thank you so much, Penny, for joining me today and telling us how to be Flossom and talking about (laughs) having tried to go one way and coming around to learning how to do it yourself and, and sharing those tips with us. Hopefully we will see more people, more women out there being Flossom because we are all good enough and we can do this ourselves. And we just need the support of some other fabulous Flossom women out there to make these businesses work. So thank you for joining me today. Oh, you're more than welcome, Anita. And absolutely, try things yourself. Thanks for listening to Be Flossom, the Good Enough podcast. Before you leave, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode when I'll be talking to another perfectly imperfect entrepreneur. If you're looking for the show notes, head on over to beflossom.ca where you'll also find all the links to connect with today's guest.